constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of parents saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Welcome back to ISS EDU Learn. Ask me anything with Mike and Dana, where we bring together experts and thought leaders from around the world to share insights and ideas that will help improve the education experience for students, teachers, administrators, and parents alike. I am Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer, and I am with my co-host, Dr. Dana Speckle-Watts of the Learning Research and Outreach at ISS. Dana, how are you today? I'm doing okay, Mike. <laughs> That's good. That's better than last time. She's now doing okay, and I like that. Before we get started today, just a few just a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We could be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, please visit our website at iss.edu for all upcoming professional development courses that we may have going on and also in-person and virtual job fairs. In this episode today, we'll be discussing how K-12 schools can build, maintain, and extend tools and systems for self-service data analytics in order to support a culture of data use. Our guest today for this episode will be Matt Kilsey and Ken Simons, the two experts in the field of data analytics for education. Matt is the Director of Technology at the American School of Dubai and previously worked as a high school principal, director of technology, tech coordinator, social studies teachers at schools in China, Mali, and Kuwait. He has over five years experience working with the off-the-shelf data analytics systems, as well as developing in-house dashboards and performing custom statistical analyses of school outcomes. Then we have Ken. Ken is a learning data analyst learning data specialist at the American School of Dubai. He spent the last six years as a data engineer and a data analyst at Meta, also known as Facebook, where he helped drive data-driven decision-making across several businesses, several business areas by preparing, analyzing, visualizing data, analytical data. In addition, he taught two graduate data analytics courses as a adjunction professor at the University of San Francisco. Matt and Ken, how are you guys today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being here. I'll just start off the question with what inspired for you to pursue a career in data analytics uh, in particular, and how has your journey shaped your perspective in the education industry? This is Ken. So in my case, I think my inspiration is actually kind of personal. I started in data analytics around 2014, so almost 10 years ago is when I made the pivot into this field. At that point, I had done a number of different jobs, kind of a meandering career that involved things like working for a basketball team, working with the Marine Corps, 
working at a university, teaching English. So not not a clear career path, but I had my son in 2013 and I decided to take my career a little bit more seriously. And I was looking at what types of things I could do. And I found that data happened to be like right in the intersection of math and computer science and statistics, which I'd always loved. And it was kind of a burgeoning up and coming field. And so uh, I took the leap. I, I went back and got a master's in analytics. And since then, I've been in data analytics. And I recently made a second mini pivot to come into the K-12 education world within data analytics. So moving from corporate to education, which has been a very pleasant change for me. So never too late, huh? To make a, a switch over in a career? No. In fact, I recommend more people do it if they if they want to. Interesting. And what yeah. about you, Ben? Uh, let's see. I so I guess get, getting interested in data analytics in particular. I was a tech integrator in 2015 and also looking to advance my career and made a very superficial decision to do an EdD degree because I was like, this will help with my resume. That was my thinking at the time. And then as part of that, you know, you do a research dissertation and you have to take, you know, like it was, it was two, two stats courses through Lehigh. And I really like, really enjoyed it. I don't know. It's like you, you throw some spreadsheets into SPSS and like find interesting trends and patterns. I enjoyed it probably any more than any person reasonably should. And so that kind of got me into the data side of things. And at the same time in my job, we were looking at how can we you know, better pull data out of power school and like give it to teachers. Because a lot of time is spent in schools downloading data into CSVs and then like manually reformatting those and making charts in Excel. And so I was like, how can we do this better? And kind of happened upon data viz software that could help help me do that. And so kind of the, the combination of those two things at the same time uh, got me interested in the field. And, you know, with both of you too, like I think about data, right? It's the one thing that we don't, we gather a lot of data in schools, but we do nothing with it. Like it sits on a shelf or like you get these map score results and then you're like, okay, I'm supposed to figure this out. But no one's helping teachers necessarily understand what that data means or what the students and parents or school leadership know what that means. But we have it just sits there, but we gather data about our end users probably more than many other industries, but I'm not sure we put enough time into analyzing that data and helping people move forward with it. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a challenge and a huge opportunity at the same time. Mm. Now, before we get into all these data analytics systems and such, you were speaking about spreadsheets and you made my head turn. So I maybe data analytics may not be for me, but for our listeners, what are the most important skills that you think is needed for success in such a profession? And how would you hone those skills throughout your career? So I think that there's different roles within, within the data world. Some are more technical and some are more communication and influence uh, oriented. If you want to be involved on the technical side of things, so this is like really getting in the weeds with the data, cleaning it, like doing, like uh, visualizing it, uh, engineering it so that it's easy to work with. The types of skills that are usually necessary are computer science skills, since you'll mostly be working with a computer to do all this. Uh, mm -hmm. So things like programming uh, ability becomes important. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of resources out there that can 
teach you these programming skills. Uh, for example, in my role, I, I use mostly Python for scripting. So this is to help automate uh, a lot of the, the work that I do so that I don't have to do it manually, like the computer can do it automatically. And SQL, which is the language of databases. So in order to get data out of a database in you need to be able to query the data and SQL, which stands for structured query language, uh, is the language that you use to describe what type of data you want to extract from the database. So those two languages tend to be the most common ones that you see in the data world these days. So from a technical standpoint, which is where I stand, I think that those skills tend to be the most important. Okay. And what about you, Matt? Are you as technical too? Yeah, so I, I, let me add one more thing on the technical side, even more basic than that. Learning the VLOOKUP formula in Microsoft Excel. If you're if you're really like starting out from scratch, that's where you want to start. But yeah, SQL SQL is really I think the key differentiator. As well, you know, Ken had mentioned kind of the on the influence and communication side, and I, th I think being approachable and having good communication skills. And how do you do that? You know, the, the adaptive schools courses or cognitive coaching that give you like a very specific way to talk and have frank conversations with people. I think that can really help you grow because Ken and I were talking about the fundamental problem of many organizations. It's like making these nice dashboards that then no one, no one uses because you haven't affected that cultural shift. And in order to do like, and, and in order to do that, being able as a person to develop relationships with users and really sell it to them. I think that's, you know, necessary, especially in the K-12 education world, making that personal connection. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. Okay, thank you for that. Now that we have collected all this data, what exactly are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Again, you want to go first? Sure. So we're collecting all this data, and I think it, it, it needs to go through a multi-step process before it becomes, in the end, what we wanted to do is we wanted to turn into insights, information, and ideally those insights and information are used to influence behavior and decision-making. But the steps to get to that point tend to be less sexy, if you will, because it involves a lot of cleaning of data that comes from these different sources that it's basically like data janitorial work that needs needs to be done the infrastructure needs to be built in order for the the data to flow properly on a regular basis and then 
Once the data is in a nice usable format, it typically needs to be, it's still data at that point. It's still numbers and letters in, in, in a table, like a tabular format. Typically, it's more helpful to look at visualizations and charts. So you, you want to build a dashboard or some type of visualization or a report so that the information that's contained within the data becomes more accessible to the end user. Like they don't need to parse through lines and lines of like what looks like a spreadsheet, but rather can look at a chart that maybe shows a line going up or a line going down. And that is much more meaningful than the raw data. Okay. That's what yeah. you're doing. Are you saying what are we doing with it on a technical level or an organizational level? That answered one of the questions. So perfect <laughs> with that. So with this clean data, you're basically creating these systems. When does the systems come into play? Uh, are we still talking on a, on the technical side? Yeah, the technical side. Technical side. Yeah. So the systems, there's a few different systems. So we have a data warehouse. The data warehouse is a repository for all of our structured data. That's one system. So it holds the data and it keeps it in an organized manner so that when we need to use it for various use cases to build dashboards or reports of visualizations, like it's there in a, in a consistent way and it's mm -hmm. available. We have our workflow management system, which organizes the cleaning process, it schedules it, it makes sure that it happens on a regular basis. It transforms the data in a way that we expect it to be transformed. It handles dependencies so that certain, if table, if like if I'm building a table about students and I need their MAP scores and I also need their power school data, I need to make sure that both of those things are available before I do the transformation. So like the workflow management system can handle the dependencies to make sure that both PowerSchool and MAP and like PSAT and whatever, whatever, all that data is available before I try to make the final table. So those types of dependency management is also handled within the workflow management. And so we use a tool called Airflow to handle that aspect of the work. Uh, we also have a uh, data visualization tool uh, that we use called Looker Studio, which is the final system, if you will, to take the clean data and turn it into these charts and reports and dashboards that refresh on a daily basis. And it's definitely the most unfortunate branding decision that Google has ever made to call it Looker Data Studio. Mm. What would you have called it? I mean, it used to be called Data Studio, and then they changed the name to Looker Studio. Oh, <laughs> I prefer the previous name, and I think many other people yeah, do yeah. as well. Thank you for that, Ken. And Matt, you keep mentioning technical version organizational. Would you like to explain to us what the organizational data systems are that you incorporate? Yeah, well, I, you know, you'd ask, like, what do we do with data at schools? And I think like on an organizational level, it's a, it's a really great question. Like what, ideally what we want to be doing with the data is bridging the gap between our perception of what's going on and like the reality of what's going on and being able to like look at things and challenge our assumptions and then ideally take action after that. So it's not, it's not enough just to kind of build understanding of what's going on. Like you've got to like build in a commitment to change. So ideally what we're doing with the data is changing what we're doing or making a conscious decision to continue what we're doing because we've seen evidence that we should do that. And I think that can also be like a challenging 
problem to approach as an organization. It's a thorny change management problem. It might be already embedded in the culture of your school. It might not be. And yeah, I think we're finding uh, as we roll out the technical systems that there's a there's also like a big organizational piece that we're realizing needs to run in parallel with that. Okay. And you speak a lot about self-service data analytics. Is that for the tech side or the organizational side? Yes. This also blends elements. I mean, self-service is the final consumer of the data. So like the teacher or the principal can go in and click through the charts themselves and dig out insights mm-hmm. to make decisions. And like, you know, what? one of the applications for this is in, in a previous role, we noticed a pattern with reading growth. I'm sorry, it was actually a problem with math achievement where it looked like there was a decline from one year. And so like I looked at this and I'm like, my interpretation was potentially there's an issue. But then when I like, gave that data over to the math chair and some of his colleagues, and they were able to dig through it themselves, they came to a different conclusion. And they were like, look, well, you know, when I look at the distribution of the grades, I can see that there's a specific concentration of people who really tanked on the test. And like, looking back to this, we overheard some conversations from students when they were taking the test, they were like, oh, like, let's not take this seriously. And so we were like, it looked, it looked like it might have been a decline, but it was probably just an artifact of the test and like decisions that students had made not to take it seriously. Anyway, they were able to come to that insight because they mm-hmm. had direct access to the data and were looking at it themselves as consumers rather than someone coming in and giving them an analysis. You know, we had more perspectives on it. Yeah. So in, in some sense, it's the technical means that like they can go in and look at that and come to a conclusion about it. So like mm-hmm. there's the technical, do the users have access to the dashboard? And then there's also on the organizational side, is that an expectation that they're looking at data and do they have the skills to do that and come to conclusions. Okay. I know you already gave an example. Do you guys have any other examples of how self-service data analytics could be used to improve the student outcomes in K through 12 schools? Yeah. You know, one of the things as a principal that was really useful was to be able to, on a weekly basis, review discipline logs, attendance logs. And, you know, it's easy to to be overwhelmed and like, this is, this is the crisis of the day. This is the student who's been brought to me, mm-hmm. but being able to go in and pick out, oh, like here's something where I should reach out and follow up because they might not escalate it. But like, I can see that this is part of a larger pattern, being able to go in and see like what the latest discipline log entries were and, and how many over time the student has accrued, being able to go in and see chronic absences, which is can be surprisingly easy to miss when they're like low low grade and just happening occasionally but regularly and then being able to then initiate a process to escalate that and to bring it to a team of concern you know typically often how this happens in schools is like teachers push concerns up but when you're also able to have a bird's eye view and look down and also go down the other way you can just catch students who need to be caught okay you're giving me a lot of pros now. Have you found any challenges that schools typically face while trying to implement the self-service data analytics? And how can these challenges be addressed? Well, time is a constraint. And, you know, looking at self-service analytics requires time and some fluency with data literacy. And, you know, we've been throwing around this idea, Ken and I, like, well, you know, is it more appropriate at the beginning to kind of do a sit and get and like, I'm going to bring the analysis to you and and walk you through and tell you what interpretation you have. And then kind of over time, do a gradual release of responsibility to get more to self-service analytics. Because like sitting down and looking at charts, it's easy to go down a rabbit hole. 
and spend a lot of time like looking at different things. And it's also easy to be overwhelmed with like how much data you can have access to. So in a, in a nutshell, figuring out when people have time to look at it and when they should look at it and then what kind of next steps or outcomes should come out of those meetings is a challenge. Yeah. And to add on to that, I think data can be tricky. It's great because it can provide a lot of insight when it's analyzed correctly, but there's a lot of easy things that can go wrong in the analysis where that can lead you to the wrong conclusion if you're not careful, like things like writing the query slightly incorrectly or not fully understanding the nature of the data, which means that maybe you're double counting things that shouldn't be double counted or you're averaging things in a way that's not appropriate, which gives you, it still will give you numbers back, but those numbers might not be the correct numbers. And if they're not the correct numbers, they can lead you to the wrong conclusions, which could lead you to the wrong decisions ultimately. So like, I think data needs to be handled with care. I, I try to do my best to like double, triple, quadruple check my work before it goes out. But even then, like I've made lots of mistakes in my career that I've tried to learn from as well. But it's it's always challenging because I think data just by its nature is it's a bit of a tricky thing to work with. Yeah, and another challenge with the self-service analytics is having a common understanding of what different metrics mean. So if we're talking about school enrollment, is that at the beginning, middle, or end of the year? That's the example that comes to mind. But there are a lot of other things where like there are metrics where you can define them in different ways. And it like depending on how you have like depending on your understanding of the definition, it will interpret it will affect how you interpret the results. Hi everyone. This is Aaron Moniz, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jameson and I'm the global collaborations lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you, and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future. And Matt and Ken, as, as I hear you guys talking, I hear like such a need for data literacy for students, right? A, I don't know where it's being taught in schools, right? I'm not certain where it exists. Like there are pieces of it that exist in a math curriculum. There are pieces of it that might exist in the science curriculum, but like, like it should exist, I think almost across the board, right? Cause it's a transdisciplinary skill. And then when I think about that, I also just think about like 
the role of AI and machine learning and all of that. And like, where would those things, like, how are those going to have influence within our curriculum and where should they be? And will that help people better analyze data or will they use those to manipulate that data? Yeah, it's a big question. I think AI in in general is going to have an extremely transformative effect not only on education, but on a lot of things that we do in daily life. But I think especially in education, like it's going to have an enormous impact. And it's unclear to me right now, like what that's going to look like, but I think it's going to happen rapidly. But just from the perspective of like, will it help us with analyzing student data and coming to better conclusions or better decisions using data? I think it can. And I think that the way that it will is that like right now, like what we were just talking about, self-service analytics can be even more self-service. Like right now, self-service analytics does involve data literacy skills. It does involve the need to be able to work with the dashboard. And even though like the dashboard's presented to you, you need to know how to ask the dashboard the right questions still in order to get the answer that you're looking for to your question. With AI, it may be possible in the near future to just ask it a question that is a human interpreted, like a human question and be able to get a human response that's still based on like the data, but the AI is doing the work of interpreting what it is that you're actually trying to get and turning that into that query. And like the data literacy part might be handled by the AI more so than the end user, which makes it much more accessible um, in the end to getting insights out of the data. Thank you. Yeah, you, you were asking where where the data learning should sit in the curriculum data and at AP stats, great place, science classrooms, great place. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that needs to be taught, you know, across all subject areas and everything. I think this, this is one thing maybe where we can specialize as opposed to the kind of the transformer transformative role of AI and machine learning and, and education. Yeah, I think there's, I think Ken's farther ahead of this than I am, but I can see like some of the potential in interpreting the data. And yeah, maybe helping with some of those data literacy skills that, like, frankly, we say now are important for teachers to have. And also, there are many more fundamental skills that a teacher should master first if we think about the Maslow's hierarchy of teaching. Okay, so I'm going to do a tiny pushback. And so I almost wonder, though, okay, I want data analytics not to just exist in AP stats because not every student takes AP stats. And I see society not being manipulated by data because they don't understand how to read data and they don't understand, you know, these huge masses, like they'll say, oh, this many people, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, out of how many, you know, like, and they don't have the ability to kind of read through, have that critical thinking ability to understand data so they get manipulated by data. And so I almost wish it was somewhere else. I don't know where it lives. I don't know when we start. I think we should start younger, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet, but I just would like more exposure in my mind. So there's more people like both of you. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I think the NGSS standards do a pretty good job of exposing students to these fundamental concepts. And uh, a lot of the work that students will do when they're when they're doing labs and recording data and reporting results, like I think there's a natural alignment there, and it's also like overlaps very nicely with that kind of the hands-on nature of science. So, like I mean, of the existing curriculum, I think that's the most natural and most accessible intersection. 
All right. Did anyone else have any other questions? I do. Hey, Matt and Ken. I'm Molly Faye. I work with Dana and Mike. And typically on uh, these Ask Me Anything podcasts, I kind of stand in as uh, the voice of the listener and ask some questions that uh, have come from them. So one that I have is asking, how can schools ensure that they are using data to inform decision-making without losing sight of the individual needs and experiences of their students? By making an intentional effort to also evaluate qualitative data. And this is, I think, easy to forget when we're talking about charts and graphs and visualization and spreadsheets and stuff. I think the quantitative representations of, of student achievement will get you so far, but then you've got to look at the, the qualitative student work that they're submitting. Also remembering to include measures on student wellness and it's not just standardized test scores and, and you know, discipline data and attendance data that you want to be looking at, I think student wellness data. But I would also say like the, I'll push back a little bit against the premise that when you're looking at data that you lose sight of the individual student, because some of the po most powerful uses I see and one of the first uses I see for teachers is like looking at the individual student outliers and seeing like who is falling behind or who are we not missing or who is far ahead and we aren't addressing their needs as well. So although they are cold with the cold hard numbers, I think when you're looking at a scatter plot of standardized chess score achievement versus course grades and you're seeing things that don't match up and then you're taking that step of, of reaching out to that student or thinking more deeply about that student, that's where like you come from many, many different data points, but then you're respecting the individual student by picking out the ones who you think need further support or enrichment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that response. I think that when we when we think of data, sometimes we think about data in aggregate only, things like average something score or like the total number of something, which does lose sight of the individual. But that aggregate data is useful for making decisions at a higher level, like a school level or administration, like it's good for the leads. But we also work with data like in a K to 12 context, especially like the data is small enough that we can work on an individual scale too. Like Matt was saying, good examples of like looking at a scatter plot. Each dot on there is representing one student, the scatter plot. And so the the usefulness of data in that case is that we can actually make the the information more accessible to the teachers. We can bring data from all of these disparate sources that would have required a teacher to log into maybe five, six, seven, ten different websites to get the data, and they don't have the time to do that. We can bring it all to one place um, and present it in one place as well. And it's representing a single student so that we're still focused on the individual, but the friction to insight is reduced so much that like it's now possible to get that information in one spot and save time, energy, and make the process more efficient overall. And so that that's been a big use case for us. It's not something that I ever was able to do in my previous career at Meta, where we're looking at things only in aggregate because there's just billions and millions of people that are that we're dealing with. And in the school, like it's, you know, we're in a big school and we have 2,000 students. So it's it's very possible to look at things at an individual level as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, as our time runs down, just wanted to ask one last question. And then going to ask you guys to just go ahead and put in 
a little promo for yourselves, whether you have a website or if you're an author, where individuals could reach you. But my last question is just basically, how do you stay up to date with the latest trends in the field? Uh, and what resources could you tell our listeners for them to kind of keep up with the trends as well? In my case, I am recently joined a community of people like me. So people that are working as data specialists or analysts or, you know, no, we can't agree on a job, job title, but everybody's done, doing more or less the same thing. And so staying in touch with them, they're spread around the world working at different international schools. There's been a movement to have like a regular conference where we get together and discuss the, the issues that we have going on. So that, that helps to give me the context of like what types of problems and questions people have in this and how are they approaching those questions. I also pay attention to the products that I'm using. So, uh, for example, as a Google school, we, we use a lot of Google cloud products for our data warehouse, for our visualization. So I'll pay attention to the webinars that they regularly put out where they go over their roadmap or where they go over basically like what's on the horizon. And that helps to inform like what I can expect from the products going forward, which is useful for me. I'm also connected to a lot of data engineering type peers on LinkedIn. And so it's helpful for me sometimes to look on my LinkedIn feed and they'll post good content about like, this is how they're doing X, Y, and Z. And that gives me ideas about how I can innovate in my own area as well. So I find that those are the resources that I rely on the most to stay up to date. Okay. How can our followers uh, and our listeners uh, get in contact with you? Uh, I'm actually... Ironically, yes, um, I'm not uh, super active on social media, but I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Ken Simons, S-I-M-O-N-D-S, and I'm happy to accept any connection requests and continue the conversation there. Okay. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. It's Matt Kelsey, and I'm still on Twitter. I don't know how much longer, so I guess you can send you can send me a message there, and eventually I'll get back to it. Yeah, those are two good ways to get in touch with me. All right. Any last words, guys? Or else I'll be wrapping us up. Thank you for having us. It was a fun conversation. Thanks for having us. All right. To wrap up, we just want to thank Matt and Ken for their valuable insights on using self-service data analytics to support student success in 12, K-12 to schools. By leveraging the right tools and systems, educators can make a data-driven decision while also keeping the individual needs of the students in mind. We hope that this discussion has inspired listeners to explore new ways for using data to drive positive change in your own schools. Join us for our next episode, where we will continue to explore the ways to improve education experience for us all. Until next time, my fellow educators, bye-bye.